Hey everybody, it's Matt. Be sure to join me and our team for a very special event, our annual Welcome to Greater Philadelphia Gathering. This is one of Select Greater Philadelphia's signature events, where we welcome new and recently relocated organizations and leaders to our community. You'll enjoy great food and refreshments while connecting with our region's top academic, business, and civic leaders. This novel gathering provides us all the chance to say, welcome to the neighborhood, to our new colleagues who chose to grow their businesses and their careers right here in Greater Philadelphia. Our exclusive location for 2019, that too is extra special. It's the new corporate headquarters for Entercom the leading media and entertainment company of highly rated, award-winning radio stations, digital platforms, and live events, including this podcast, and the Entercom team, well, they call Greater Philadelphia their home, too. This special gathering, it's made possible thanks to Comcast, TD Bank, Pico, Berkshire Hathaway Fox Roach Home Services, the H&K Group, and the Entercom and Radio.com teams. We're all set for Thursday, November 19th at 5.30. It will be an evening filled with meaningful conversations and new friendships. Register today for Welcome to Greater Philadelphia at chamberphl.com slash welcome19. That's chamberphl.com slash welcome19. This is Growing Greater. Growing Greater. Bringing you the stories of economic growth, job creation, and business success from across the 11-county community of northern Delaware, southern New Jersey, and southeastern Pennsylvania. Now, here's Matt Gabry. I was born with it. I'm missing a part of my body that's called Collagen 7. It's basically what holds the skin to your body. When most people, you know, bump into someone, nothing really happens. But bumping into someone for me, my skin just shears right off. Any type of force or any friction, especially when I scratch and I get itchy, causes a big wound. My whole body is covered in bandages. In the audio we hear in this video by Barcroft TV, we're introduced to 15-year-old John Hudson Delgin. John's story, it's very moving and inspiring. You can view his story on YouTube in a video titled Teenager with Butterfly Skin Inspires Others. It's part of their Born Different series. You see, John has a rare skin disorder known as epidermolysis bullosa, also known as EB. And as a result, the majority of John's body is wrapped in bandages to help keep his skin from dislodging from his body and to minimize the risk of infection. Most of John's body has open wounds. He lives in constant pain and is limited in his mobility. But John and his family, they have hope. Thanks to life sciences companies researching treatments to help people with rare skin diseases. This week on Growing Greater, we're joined by John Mislowski. He leads the team at FibroCell Science, an Exton PA headquartered company that's focused on advancing research to treat the underlying cause of diseases affecting the skin and connective tissue. Here, John describes the work that's happening every day at his company. So FibroCell is a biotech company out in the Chester County area that is working on rare diseases notably in skin, so in dermatology. And we're using gene therapy to create changes in these 
just terrible, awful disorders where one might normally think that skin diseases could be that problematic, but they actually can be fatal. Mm -hmm. And they do impact children as well. So in our cases, we're taking fibroblast cells, which are the cells that reside in everybody's skin in the dermal layer, and we're genetically modifying them to replace a gene of interest. So if a gene is deficient in a patient, we're then using viral vectors, which can carry these genes in the cells, and then creating a personalized bank of cells or a personalized therapy to treat that patient back. So it's this wonderful era of medicine where we can create you know, these customized therapies for patients really in need where there are no approved therapies. And your pipeline, it's impressive because you have a project now in phase two going into phase three. Tell us a little bit about that particular product. Sure, I'm happy to. It's interesting. The main disease we work on is called recessive dystrophic epidermolysis bullosa. I won't have you repeat it. Thank you. But it's RDEB. Okay. And, you know, it's the advocates call it the worst disease you've never heard of. And it's true that it's really this ultra rare skin disorder that occurs in primarily in children where they're missing a protein called type 7 collagen. They have a mutation, it's genetic, mm-hmm. where they've had an inheritance pattern where they can't properly produce or produce it at all, this protein. And we think of it like Velcro. So if skin is Velcro and you have the hoops on top of Velcro and then you have this lattice material below, they work like the hoops, which there's a structure called an anchoring fibril that keeps all of our healthy skin together. It works okay. like a, almost like a hoop system that kind of binds our skin. And these children, that hoop is malformed or it isn't formed at all. So you get these layers of skin that just float on one another. So you can imagine with lateral friction, you know how children are, mm-hmm. a little bit of heat change or something, they create blisters. And these blisters become terrible wounds. They become chronic and then they can lead to these awful conditions. You can imagine sepsis is an issue, but squamous cell carcinoma, and there is a high mortality rate in this patient population because of that disorder and affects their body throughout all over their skin. And there's no real specific treatment for someone diagnosed with this condition today. That's correct. There's no approved therapies worldwide, none in the U.S. right now. Right now, the care is palliative. So it's a lot of home care where parents find themselves having to do daily bandage changes, they're doing wound management, they're performing these anti-sepsis bath with Clorox and water. So as you can mm-hmm. imagine, not only the physical impact on families, the psychological is huge. Sure. It's very painful, very difficult to manage, and you know they have nurses at centers who specifically teach these parents how to care for their kids. And they do this on a daily basis. And not only is it you know, physical and psychological, there's also this huge financial burden because imagine the home care materials. You're talking about bandages and ointments, all that is not well covered sometimes by their health care. Right. Yeah. And the quality of life has to be a real challenge for a young person who's diagnosed with this condition as well. Absolutely. So, you know, they all face these challenges, not only with the mortality we talked about, but at younger ages, there's pain, there's problems with mobility. They tend to have other health issues. So they tend to have developmental and also hormonal level issues. So it's overall this highly impactful systemic impact by the skin, which somebody might not connect. You think of things like cancer and other things that have these systemic issues, but it's just an absolutely painful and agonizing experience for these kids to go through. How young is somebody when they're diagnosed, if there is such a typical age? It's usually upon birth. Mm -hmm. And when parents learn about this terrible condition is the trauma of birth tends to show. You see extreme blistering and pain very early on. And then once they're diagnosed through 
genetic analysis to confirm it, usually those patients directly go to an EB center. And when I mean by EB center, you think of your major children hospitals that have them and and they start helping to direct their care from there through not only teaching parents how to handle their children, but they also have to begin this sort of lifetime of surgical treatments and visits occupational like they do a lot of esophageal dilatations finger separation surgeries all rooted in the fact that they have these wounding issues right so this is in what you've referred to as your personalized biologics pipeline right. and you describe fibrocell as a gene therapy company so where i'm going with this is this condition hereditary is it based on the genes that the young person has inherited basically absolutely so it's what is called recessively inherited so if both parents have a mutation, and if you do all your mathematics, they have a certain percentage, 25% chance, of actually having an offspring that has this disease. It is inherited genetically through their parents. And the reason we call it personalized and we sort of have this gene therapy approach is we are genetically modifying these cells in order to target genes of interest. So in this particular case, this type 7 college is our gene of interest. So we can actually, you know, all through these really wonderful molecular biology techniques can create these vectors, and I'll be happy to describe the process shortly, you know, that can carry these genes into the person's own cells mm -hmm. in our labs here in Exton, Pennsylvania and then create those cells, grow them up into these large banks that they can actually store and go back to. So we're not always growing new cells. They actually have this bank they can go to. Right. And the reason that's important is you can imagine, I'm sure if you're listening to this right now, you're thinking, well, how are you gonna treat all the skin, right? You know, we are locally injecting these cells back into the skin and it has a lot to do with biology of the skin and how it works with your body. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we can go back and go to this frozen cryogenic bank and then thaw them, and prep them and ship them means you can treat wounds later, you know, in other right. areas and have them ready for their care, you know, and emergent wounds later. You may have mentioned this and I may have missed it, but that cryogenic bank, is it customized for each patient? It is. So we call this an autologous therapy. What that means is it comes from self. So what we do is we take a small biopsy sample from these patients. It's collected in a very painless way, you know, as we do as many of us who have had biopsies in the past. And then that skin sample is shipped to our facility here in the Exton area in Exton, Pennsylvania. And then we go through a manufacturing process where we grow up their fibroblast cells and then they're introduced to what's called a viral vector which is basically a virus that carries the gene, it puts it into the cells, and then we can actually grow them up. We can test these cells for safety, you know, make sure everything meets all the FDA standards, and then they're frozen. So mm -hmm. we've just now created a customized, personalized bank for that patient. Reason that's important in a lot of diseases and a lot of these conditions, you think of cell rejection. So I'm gonna put a foreign cell back into that patient. Your body has a high propensity to reject that cell and, and sort of destroy it. Well, that was the drug. We want that to last. Mm -hmm. And so that's why these are autologous. They go back to that patient, doesn't have the same rejection scheme, obviously, because they come from self. And then what we're hoping for and what we believe we see in our clinical data is a long-term effect of that protein that it continues to produce over time because that's really what solves the issue in RDEB. And how often does a patient need to go back to the bank, if you will, that's for right. treatment? So we're establishing all that in our clinical trials now. Okay. Right now, we've done an escalation through our phase one, two. We did a uh, an early study, started in six patients, started with adults, and then moved into pediatrics, where we looked at what does a single injection series do. So when we say that, we actually inject the cells around the periphery of the wound. That gives them the ability to begin the wound healing cycle and start to close these wounds. Our clinical data has shown that we see wound closure when we actually introduce them. So this isn't a graft, just a, it's a therapy that goes into the area. So it's not surgical, it's done outpatient. Yep. 
And then we started working with dosing and then we've added a second injection session at four weeks. And the goal there is to create now this sort of durable effect. And that's what we worked up to. So in the clinical trial, we'll be looking at this two injection series. We collected data out a year so far. You know, in the clinical trial, we'll be looking at 12 weeks with a lot of interest because we want to see how quickly we can close those wounds to keep them closed. Right. But then looking at durability out, you know, so far we've had data in the phase one, two for a year. Commercially, I'd love to see this product. Obviously, we have to work on labeling with FDA. We have to make sure we do the right studies. Right. But I'd like to see patients returning to this on a routine basis. Every time they're in for other care, they're still going to need dilatations and other care. But if we can manage the wounds and get to them, I'd like to see them now going back and treating other problem areas around their body where they have chronic open wounds, non-healing wounds, if you would. And the goal there would be if we can get these wounds closed and keep them closed, it reduces the impact of things like sepsis and cancer right that's the overall vision i'd love to see how this is used on a routine basis as we continue our conversation with john let's thank the team at kistler tiffany benefits they're actually helping us attract new companies and new jobs to greater philadelphia customer intimacy this is the key characteristic that distinguishes kistler tiffany benefits leading to its growth and success over the past 55 years as a trusted leader of employee benefits consulting for companies in Pennsylvania, Delaware, and New Jersey. The Kistler Tiffany Benefits team, they work hand-in-hand with their clients to find long-term strategies and sustainable solutions that control costs for individuals, small businesses, and large, complex organizations with multi-state operations. The experts at Kistler Tiffany Benefits, they understand and appreciate the importance that employers and employees place on affordable, valuable benefits packages. Learn more at ktbenefits.com. That's ktbenefits.com. And join me in thanking Kistler Tiffany Benefits for believing in us at Select Greater Philadelphia. Now let's get back to our conversation with John. So, John, I wanted to dive in a little bit and ask, I know you've been describing what the program is referred to as FCX007. If I'm not getting too granular here, this sounds like it's a treatment for the symptoms, not a cure for the condition. Right. And that's a very important point in sort of the gene therapy era now, because there are different types of gene therapies. And we've had the privilege over the last year or so of seeing approvals of things like CAR T therapies here out of the pen and yep. spark with rare eye disorders as well. And there are curative approaches where if you can function the gene, then you know there's this sort of one and done approach that can have a, a long-term impact. Some diseases unfortunately don't work that way yep. and that they have a different manifestation. And in our case, we look at the management of RDEB to be more, I don't know if you think of uh, enzyme replacement therapy. Yep. Over the course of years, you're taking ongoing therapy. Yep. But what it does is it keeps the management of disease symptoms to the point where you can actually have a you know good quality of life. Right. And so in this case, because of the ubiquity of the disease and the inability to treat it systemically, because these are big proteins, these are big cells, you know, these are things that you don't want to be doing systemically, then you know you're down to managing symptoms in this case, using the patient's own cells to then help these wounds heal, keep them healed, manage them as they manifest, yeah. and then prevent them from coming these big sort of open, non-healable wounds. So really, we look at this as a management treatment going forward, which benefits the model, because the model is that we freeze these cells down, we have them booked for you, so we're not always going back for skin from the patient. Because that's highly inconvenient, that's not an appropriate therapy. We needed to design it in a way where the patient can actually use the product over the course of a lifetime, and that's where cryogenics and cell therapy really play a good role. 
And I know this whole process of getting a treatment from, again, that kind of early concept to regulatory approval and, and ultimately to use in patients who need solution to this health condition is quite a process from research to preclinical and phase one and phase two. Where is FCX 007 today? FCX 007 has been studied now through a phase one, two trial. And what that means is, you know, the classic sort of drug development timeline is you go from preclinical into phase one, phase two, phase three. With rare diseases and unmet needs and gene therapy, there has come some wonderful programs with FDA that have allowed acceleration of some development. You probably have heard some of them with sure. some other folks who have been on your show talking about things like orphan drug designation, rare pediatric disease, fast track breakthrough, and RMAP, which we actually just were recently given by FDA for FCX007, right. which is a regenerative medicines version of breakthrough therapy, which gets you, you know, some additional attention from the agency when you're talking about development. So these are all advantages for small companies like ours yep. to be able to access FDA's feedback mm -hmm. on our programs and move through our development program. So we've reported data last year and some adults on our phase one, two trial. We saw good safety profile, obviously in a new gene therapy platform. We're very careful and make sure you look at a lot of safety parameters. We've been very lucky to see it's been well tolerated. We don't see product related AEs and things like that. And then we saw good signals for, you know, expression of collagen seven, which is our target protein and also for wound healing. And, and the reason I bring up wound healing is you have to start thinking about a medically relevant endpoint for later analysis. And right. that's what we've been thinking. Is that clinically relevant to the patient? Of course, you know, it makes sense that if you can completely close a wound on a patient, that would have a benefit to that particular patient for some obvious reasons. But sure. this is through an ongoing discussion. So what we have completed is what's called an end of phase two type B meeting with the agency. And what that means is you have a formal meeting with the agency to propose the data you have so far, and can we start thinking about moving to a phase three trial? And that's what we held a meeting a couple of months ago about with FDA to talk about what are some of these endpoints like wound healing? What might the trial look like? How do you power such a trial statistically? Yep. So that's what we've been working on since. And we've had some other manufacturing data back to FDA that's done and then submit the protocol. And then we believe we'll then be in the phase three phase of this program. So now we're thinking about what does it look like commercially once right. you start moving to then? So right. move this program actually along. Obviously, there's, there's a history of going back to looking at preclinical and all of our research, but you know the clinical phase of this, because of our feedback and the way we've moved through and working with uh, patients and families, we able to move this to phase three relatively quickly. That's great. So, John, I want to shift gears a little bit, and I want to dive in a little bit to John Mislowski. Sure. Because you have had an interesting journey over the past 25 years or so. I know you're native to northern New Jersey. You now call Greater Philadelphia home. You came here, I think, for school, a proud graduate of Ursinus. That's correct. And then on to Villanova for a master's. That's right. Both in biology. And over the past 20 years, your career has really taken a nice journey, and you now find yourself as the CEO of a rare disease life sciences company that not only is on a promising track, but you're really focused on helping people. And where I'm going with this is, did you ever think back to that you know, freshman year at Ursinus when maybe you didn't even know your major was going to be biology, that you would be one day leading a pharmaceutical company? Was that part of your kind of plan? Yeah, it's funny, early on, even going far as back as college and grad school, you know, I was really interested in science. 
starting to merge out, had interest in microbiology and cell biology. So obviously this part of science has always been close to me and, you know, moved my career through manufacturing and quality and a lot of biological research. And I was part of Teva, you know, when I started and then moved to Merck and YF and so saw big pharma, saw small, obviously now with Fibercell. And, you know, my interest, even early on in Fibercell, I was VP of manufacturing and of scientific affairs. And so that was always my focus. It, it's interesting you asked me the question. I've been posed that before. That's a, a rarer path to CEO than, say, maybe through more business acumen. There's something along those lines where you're training. Right. But as it emerged, it wasn't ever on my radar. But then as I got closer to it, it, it obviously had a lot of appeal. It's funny today, the modern biotech company, when you're out doing things like raising money, let's think about that. The street has gotten so educated between analysts and even in the shops themselves. You know, a lot of your discussions are now talking about, you know, genetic modification, about gene editing, about mm-hmm. cell therapy. And, and it's no longer just a financial discussion. It's now a scientific discussion. So that's how I started getting into more of the track of thinking about the corporate side of yeah, things. Yeah, and the strategy. Exactly yeah. right. Because when you're on the street, the CEO, my CEO at the time, look to me to say, I want you to field these questions, right? Because it's important to have scientists talk to one another when you're doing this. So the modern sort of biotech approach has become very scientific and it makes perfect sense, right? It's by a biotech company. Yeah, really, it does. But in the end, there's a business aspect of it too that has to be understood. So it shows you that all these chess pieces are really important. So obviously wasn't on my radar. I've been doing it at Fibercell for two and a half years, but I've been with the company for over 14. Right. So, you know, I joke that I come with the building now. Yeah, right. right, So when you see all aspects of the business, when you see manufacturing and quality, but you also see facilities, because I've touched them all, regulatory, clinical, and then you're heading into finance, and we're also a public company, so SEC. Right. All those pieces, you just realize, well, like, wait, I actually, I've been doing that. Right. And the board, you know, turned to me and said, look, you live and breathe this company. It makes perfect sense. And then, right. you know, you kind of think of it yourself, like, you know what, maybe it does. And yeah. it's been a wonderful transition for me. It's obviously been probably the biggest learning experience of my entire life, obviously. Yeah. But we have a wonderful team at Fibercell. I have people who have been there. 10, 12, 13 years who are still there even when we are small. You right, know? right. And uh, just the team is the reason why the company is so successful. They're just the best at this. I love how you kind of describe the logic that the board saw in your capabilities and your qualifications and the characteristics that you brought to the table. And they're probably sitting across the table looking at you thinking, I think we have our next CEO right here. The guy's done it all. And the reality is you do know the nooks and crannies, not just of the building, but of the industry and of the science. And you are perfectly positioned in many ways to lead the company. So it does make a lot of sense. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Obviously, there's the factor of, well, I, you know, I'm the head of science. I, I can't do that, right? Right. But it was the pieces, you know, as you go. And then I think it also builds up a trust with various stakeholders. So you have trust of not only the street, because they know you know the science, but then there's patience and there's advocacy groups and parents. Like one of my biggest pushes with the company always is we need to make sure they always believe us and trust us. Right. Because they actually help you develop the drug. I mean, the reality is they're part of now the modern drug development process is making sure the patient voice is heard. There's no more days where you go all the way through drug development and then upon market approval, you go to your advocacy groups and go, well, what do you think? Yeah, right, right. right. Yeah, that wouldn't work. You can find yourself backed in a corner that way. And I know now that way reimbursement works. You mm-hmm. know, they already are thinking of that. So it's important that all these stakeholders feel comfortable with you 
as running the company. And, and that's, I think, all those touch points over the years, the board, uh, patients, the street, you know, even your vendors, you know, yeah. you know, everybody needs to be rowing the boat in the same direction to make this work. And I think that's how I got myself there. That makes sense. And you can relate with lots of different audiences who operate in the industry. So it really makes good sense. How big is the shop today? So we've always been a smaller company. Yeah. And so I think this time last year, around 19 people. And we're now up to about 31. So nice. it's it's a nice growth. You know, what we don't want to do is overhire and then all of a sudden look at each other and be like, we have too many people, yeah, right? Because right. now you're burning money that isn't. We want to have a nice gradual increase through phase three into commercial launch. Yep. And we project that will be you know a, a nice workforce as we go forward. And you know what I like about that is obviously creating these opportunities in the Philadelphia region, you know, right. uh, in the city and in the suburbs. I think that makes a nice, and you see more of that now around here. And we want to keep that growth with Firebell as well. Yeah, absolutely, totally. And and I love your kind of positioning of you want to have good, appropriate growth based on the milestones within the organization. Absolutely. So, John, here's my wrap up question for you. Your tenth grade biology teacher calls you and says, John. We want you to come back to the high school and talk with our students about your career journey. What kind of advice are you giving to a young person who's either a sophomore in high school, finding that they really like biology, or they're thinking about becoming an entrepreneur? What's your insight to you know the 15 or 16-year-old sophomore in high school who is looking at this guy who sat in the same desk that he or she is now sitting in? And they're aspiring to achieve some of the success that you have seen, whether it's been planned or not, you've been able to navigate that well. What do you tell a young person like that? It's interesting that you uh, asked the question because we've hosted students from not only, well, Ursinus was one, but other Westchester University and other universities in the area and the STEM high school in Downingtown. Sure. We've even had them yeah. because there's no age where you're not starting to be interested in science. That's right. And what I always tell them or you know anyone who asks advice from their own child who's going for biology or chemistry or something in the in the life sciences is that when you choose your career path you have to do what you're interested in. And for me that was science. Mm-hmm. You know, I have um, very good friends who went through business and we all work together now, right? Yeah. Or in similar jobs in the Philadelphia life sciences. Sure. You know, but if you have to do that starting even in high school like develop an interest pick your major when you get into college and and focus on what you like because i liked doing science and it obviously worked out for a career that went all the way up to where i am now and i highly suggest to them too that they get involved in internships because when i started i did internships at merck you know and it opens your eyes not only to drug development and business and science but just how to interact with other people at work Right. Because that's an important part of developing your professional sense as you're moving ahead yourself. Sure. You know, that's that's all part of how we all interact and network. And so all that is really the advice I give, you know, really try to do what you love. Stick to it. If you change your mind along the way, that's fine. But you, know, you really want to kind of focus on those things that are your core interests. And sort of always take chances, too. Mm-hmm. That's what I've done. Like, you know, for instance, this most recent one for me was chance. You know, it's not something I was originally focused on, but ended up being the best yeah. career development part of my life. Yeah. You know, and, and not uh, only right for you, but right for the company as well. That was very important part of it as well. I think if it was a bad fit, obviously, I don't think our board would have been interested in it. But, you know, I've lived it for so many years and got to know the company. And that's another thing too, is you don't have to move just because you can. You know, If you like where you are, you should work there and you should develop yourself there. If the move makes sense for your career, you should move, right? Yeah. You know, There's no good answer like, should I stay, should I go? It's all situational. And that's sure. things you learn with experience over time and what the right call is for yourself. Yeah. So really, you know, it has to do with getting exposure, trying to enjoy what you're doing, 
And don't think you're in a, you don't always have to be in a peg. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's more to it. And that's what I like about the small company atmosphere. You know, and I've done both. And yeah. there's great things about both. And it's really the fact that you get to wear a lot of different hats and try different try things. Try new things. And then you can really figure out what you want to do with your life. John Mislowski and his team at FibroCell are doing amazing research. And we here at Growing Greater, we're rooting for them to have positive outcomes and secure the needed regulatory approvals to help patients live better, healthier, and more productive lives. FibroCell, it's just one of the many innovative cell and gene therapy companies located right here in greater Philadelphia that are working to transform lives around the world with new treatments. And if you like this episode, please be sure to rate and review our podcast and share it with family and friends and colleagues and through social media too. Be sure to check out other inspiring episodes of our Growing Greater podcast at radio.com, wherever you listen to your podcast or at selectgreaterphl.com slash podcast. So as we wrap up this episode of Growing Greater, let's take a moment to thank the team at WSFS Bank for actively helping us attract new companies and new jobs to our region and for their support of this podcast. We stand for service. That's what WSFS Bank is all about. You know, their friends call them WSFIS, and they are the seventh oldest continuously operating bank in the U.S., a permanent fixture in our community, WISFIS is a service-oriented, locally managed community banking institution. The professionals at WISFIS, they've been servicing businesses of all sizes, as well as growing families with a wide range of banking options. And they continue to implement innovative tactics and to streamline personal and business banking. Learn more at wsfsbank.com and join me in thanking WISFIS Bank for believing in us at Select Greater Philadelphia. Growing Greater is presented by Select Greater Philadelphia, a council of our Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia. Select is the business attraction organization for Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania, and helps to grow the economic vibrancy of our collective community by attracting new businesses and new jobs to our region. Special thanks to our program producers, Elena Carmazin and Maricela Juarez, along with the great team of marketing and creative services professionals at our chamber. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in anytime and anywhere you get your podcasts or online at selectgreaterphl.com slash podcast.